0: My sermon this morning has two texts. The first one is in Mark chapter one. This uh, Mark chapter one is a parallel to the scripture reading that I read just a few minutes ago of how that Jesus is walking by the Sea of Galilee, and he called these four fishermen to follow him. <clears throat> so this is almost exactly the same. Uh, there are a couple of a couple of things that Mark records that that Matthew does not. So the first text is Mark chapter 1, verse 16. Passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. There's a couple of observations but before I turn to the next text. Andrew is never mentioned except that he is called the brother of Simon Peter, so all of his... Every time he's mentioned in the Bible, it's always uh, Andrew, the brother of Simon. Second observation is that there are several Jameses in the New Testament. And uh, this James is always mentioned in connection with John. So every time this James is mentioned, it's always uh, with John. So if it's another James that it, says it's not John's brother, then it's a different James. A, a, a second another observation from this before we turn to my second text is that verse twenty I think gives the impression that uh, this was a a fairly successful fishing business because Zebedee had sufficient success that he was able to hire servants to help him, and so when when James and John left to follow jesus then it 's possible that they were making financial sacrifice in order to do that. Uh, The same thing may be true of Simon and Andrew, but uh, it's specifically mentioned that Zebedee, uh, their father, the father of Andrew, uh, the father of James and John, had hired servants. Now my second text is uh, similar, but it is a subsequent calling, and this one is in Luke chapter 5. When I get around to, to preaching from this text in a few minutes, you I hope will note that there were actually a series of calls, and uh, I, I draw. I'm going to make a point or two from that. But Luke chapter five, this is a this is a different calling than the ones that I have read about this morning in Matthew and in Mark. So for one thing. Uh, when Jesus in Matthew and Mark calls them, uh, Peter and his brother Andrew are casting a net into the sea. Here they're not casting a net into the sea, but they are mending their nets. They're washing their nets. And uh, there's something else that happens in this, in this context that I think indicates that this is a, a second calling of these four men. So chap- uh, Luke chapter 5 verse 1. Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking or on the point of breaking, about to break. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both, boat, both the boats so that they began to sink. Again, this doesn't mean that they did sink. It means that they were on the verge of sinking. They were so overloaded with the fish. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And I plan to make a point of this at the end of the sermon. The the Greek says, You will be catching men alive. You'll be catching men alive, and it only it only appears twice in the Bible, that word, you will be catching men alive. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Well, I've told you that these are two separate, and, and you can just leave your Bibles open to Luke chapter 5, because uh, I will just make reference to what we had in Mark, Matthew and in Mark, and then... If I need to point anything out to you, it will be here in Luke chapter 1. I already told you that what Matthew and Mark record is a previous encounter with Jesus. And then Luke Luke records something subsequent to that. This is not the first encounter of Peter and Andrew and James and John with Jesus. About a year before this, when Jesus uh, is... uh, when Jesus is identified by John the Baptist as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, then Andrew and John, we think, Andrew for sure, John, we think, was with, they were with John the Baptist, and they heard John the Baptist say concerning Jesus, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then these two disciples of John they begin to follow after Jesus. They're just walking after him. And uh, Jesus turns around and he sees them following and he says, What is it you want? And he, they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And Jesus said, Come and see. So they went and spent that day with him. And one of the one of the two who went was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And the first thing he did was to find his brother Andrew find his brother Simon, and bring him to Jesus. And when Jesus sees him, he says, You're Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. And then there's a sequence of four or five days that are recorded. And when Jesus leaves that part of the country, he goes to Galilee and he attends attends a wedding at Cana of Galilee. And it says that his disciples were invited. And so we assume that since he has disciples within a few days of his calling Peter, Andrew, James, and John, that it was probably Peter and Andrew and James and John who went with him to the wedding at Cana. And then they went back to fishing. And so about a year goes by and Jesus comes and says to them, we read this in Matthew and Mark, Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And so they left their nets. They went and followed Jesus. But apparently, then they went back to fishing again. Now, I don't think that it's necessarily an act of disobedience, but it could possibly be because of something that we read here in Luke chapter 5. Now, so I'll come back to that. So there's the, the initial time that Peter, Andrew, James, and John meet Jesus under the ministry of John the Baptist. Then a year goes by. Jesus calls them to follow him for a while. They go back to fishing. Then Jesus calls them to follow him permanently. And there is yet one more call that we won't study for a while, and that is when he appointed these four brothers, these two pairs of brothers, to become uh, the group of his apostles, and so that 's going to come later so under the first point of this sermon, I want to talk about the calls of Jesus, the calls of Jesus, and in broad categories it 's first of all a call to become a Christian, and then the second is a call to become a a servant in some capacity in the kingdom of God, so that first encounter that uh, Peter and Andrew and James and John had with Jesus. Andrew and John are following after Jesus. He turns around, he says, what do you want? They say, Rabbi, where are you staying? It's like, we're curious about you. We'd like to know. And Jesus says, come and see. And I am I'm, I'm identifying that as the first call of Jesus, and it is a call that is issued to everyone. Everyone ...in this room is invited to come and learn more about Jesus. If you're eventually going to become a Christian, then you need to know who Jesus was. You need to know how it is that God has made a covenant with people through Jesus. Uh, you, you, if you're going to have faith in Jesus, you've got to learn, you've got to learn some about Jesus... And so that may be where you are in the Christian life right now. That may be, you're not a Christian yet, but you need to hear Jesus saying, I welcome you to come and explore more about who I am. Come and see. And so they went and they spent that day with him. And then there was a next step. So I take this as a second sort of call where Jesus says, come with me. And that's when he leaves. He leaves uh, the place where John was baptizing. He goes to Cana in Galilee, and he's he's got these four guys with him. And uh, you know they, they are they're relatively new to one another. All this happens within a week. But Jesus says, "I want you to I want you to come with me." Now, one thing, the the come and see phase does not need to last for weeks. If you are Blessed by God, the come and see phase will very quickly come in, will bleed into Jesus saying, you come with me. If you see that I am the way to be right with God, if you see that you need to leave behind your sin, you come with me and we are going to spend time together and now I'm going to begin influencing you and shaping your culture, shaping your character. And so I take that to be... A second level of, you, you come and be with me. You've seen who I am. You want to be with me. Now I'm inviting you to come and be with me. And then a year goes by before Jesus, as we read in Matthew and Mark, Jesus comes, he sees them, and uh, Peter and Andrew are casting uh, a net into the sea, and, and he calls to them, come and follow me. So he, this was not a cold turkey summons, but I think this is a summons that Jesus is giving them to, you're going to be my servants in a special kind of a way. I'm not sure if he is yet calling them to become full time in following him. Because they do go back to fishing. But uh, let's just leave that alone for a minute. Uh, I think it's obvious that after those initial few days that they spent with Jesus at the wedding feast in Canaan of Galilee... They may have been with him off and on during that year, but they were not called to be with him full time. And so I don't think that they were doing anything disobedient when we find them in Matthew and Mark casting a net into the sea and still continuing in their fishing business. Not everyone is called into vocational ministry. Not everyone is called to be a preacher. Not everyone is called to be a teacher. Everyone is called to come and see Jesus. Everyone is called to follow after Jesus. But not everyone is called to leave behind whatever vocation you have. In fact, it may be that the Lord really wants you to stay in the vocation that you have because He wants there to be a light in that dark place. And so if you're if you're a school teacher, that doesn't mean he means you to stop to being a school teacher when you become a Christian. If you're a mechanic, that doesn't mean that he means you to stop being a mechanic. The Lord, the Lord needs mechanics who will talk to people about Jesus. The Lord needs teachers who will talk to people about Jesus. The Lord needs medical professionals who are going to talk to people about Jesus. I remember several years ago when, uh, when uh, I was. Being recruited to come to Louisville to teach at the seminary, uh, I was talking with, uh, with someone and he was telling me about how smart Albert Moeller is. You know, and he was saying uh, he reads at, uh, at least one book every day. I think he told me he reads about nine books a week. I'm not sure if, I'm not sure if that's true I'm, or if it's still true. I don't know. But there's no doubt about it that Al Moeller is a very, very smart man. And so I said to the person, uh, when I was on the phone with him, I said, that kind of makes me regret the thousands of hours that I have spent playing basketball instead of studying and reading books. And the person on the other end of the line very wisely said, you should never feel that way because there are people that you can talk to that Al Moeller will never be able to talk to. And so that's, that's the case. So Maybe the Lord is not calling you into some kind of full-time teaching, preaching, ministry position, but He is calling you to be a light in the place where you are. If you're a Christian, then you're called to be a light in that place where you are. Now I say that there, after this calling that we read about in Matthew and Mark, there's the possibility that Jesus expected more full-time service from Peter and Andrew and James and John, than they were rendering. I say that because for some reason, Peter falls down at Jesus' feet and says, Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. And it could be because he's feeling bad that his loyalty to Jesus was not as as consistent as it ought to have been. that he knew that Jesus was calling him to leave the fishing business and he had not done it. So that's possibly why he says, depart from me, Lord, because I'm a sinful man. I know that I have already disappointed you. Now, eventually, all four of these guys are going to be appointed to be apostles, the 12 main men who are entrusted with the, the spread of the gospel in the first century. A couple of lessons from that. I think that during, during this year and a few weeks, a few months, I think that, uh, I think that there was some probation that was going on. I think that Jesus was looking at the character of these men and saying, are these the kind of men that I want to be full-time in my service? That I'm going to uh, build the church upon the, the shoulders of these twelve men. And so I think that uh, during those 12 months, he came to have increasing confidence. And so when it comes time for appointing the 12, then these these men are there, I, are appointed. I also think that there was probably some uh, soul searching that was going on in the hearts of Peter and Andrew and James and John. Can we, are we up to this? Can we, can we do this? what Jesus is calling us to do. That may explain why Peter said, Depart from me, Lord, because I am a sinful man. That may be the reason why he thought, I am not worthy to do this. I just I don't have the gifts to do this. And uh, if that is the case, Jesus answers him, Don't be afraid. I I know that you, you don't think that you're able to do this, but I'm telling you, you can. From now on, You will catch men. And so when the Lord is calling us into service, I would say it's definitely better for us to say, Lord, I am going to fail miserably if you don't uh, infuse your grace into me. Far better to have that perspective than to say, I got this. I'm wondering why Jesus never called me sooner. You know, that, that kind of an arrogant attitude. I remember hearing a story one time about a uh, a young man who was uh, going to preach and he he went into the pulpit very confident stepping stepping with confidence and then the sermon just went terribly wrong and uh, he left, he left the pulpit and went back to his seat, bowed down, and feeling very humbled and Someone observed if the preacher had gone into the pulpit like he came out of the pulpit, then he might have come out of the pulpit like he went into it. You know, Just the idea of I, none of us are sufficient for these things. If God uses us, uh, he is using us in spite of our weaknesses, which is which is not to say that you're not aware of any talents that he might have given you. Humility is not pretending like you don't have the talents that you have, but to know that all any talent that you have is something that God has given to you, and it will be woefully ineffective unless God makes it effective. We've all had experience with that. We have all, we have all heard preachers whose every sentence was polished, who clearly were thoroughly educated, but the words out of their mouth were like ice coming out of an ice machine. It just never, it never reached us at all. And then on the other hand, someone that you're not exactly sure if he's, uh, you know, he, he he doesn't have good grammar, he doesn't have much education, but he's full of the spirit of God. And then it, the words coming out of his mouth are like flamethrowers when they when they hit our hearts. Uh, what what makes the difference? Well. The presence of the Spirit of God is what makes the difference. And so as God calls you into what whether you're going to stay fishing or stay mechanicing or stay teaching, your ministry will be effective only as God makes it effective and so continue to seek His blessing. Here's another thing that we can learn from this series of calls. If you're faithful over little, you will be entrusted with much. And so these disciples, during the time that they were being examined by Jesus, would show that they were able to be faithful in little things. And then eventually the Lord entrusted them with much. So there are several lessons from this series of calls that Jesus issued to these four men. Now let's move on and think about that He called them to be fishers of men. Now, first of all, they were fishermen and even if they were not poor men which indica- you know cause zebedee had enough money in the fishing business that he was able to hire some people to help him even if they were not poor they probably were not very thoroughly educated i don't think that that means that we we must assume that they couldn't read you know peter uh writes a book in the bible john writes a book in the bible so they have ha- they've had some education But apparently they had not been to the seminary. They had not been to the schools uh, that were uh, common in, in the southern part of Israel that led people to say when Jesus spoke so effectively, they said, how did this man get such learning without having studied? And then later on, when Jesus had gone back to heaven and uh the disciples were speaking boldly for Jesus it says that his, their critics when they saw that they were unlearned men they took note of them that they had been with Jesus oh this these guys the reason the reason they're able to speak with such confidence is because they have been with Jesus they didn't get it from our schools now I, i'm not down on education you know i've I've been to school a lot. I, I, think, I think I went to college for 15 years. So uh, I've, been to, I've been to school a lot. I'm not down on education. So I, I'm not spewing sour grapes when I say the only thing for sure that a Ph.D. tells you about some person is that that person is capable of sitting still and voluntarily submitting to torture for long periods of time. It doesn't necessarily mean that he or she is educated. It ought to, but it doesn't necessarily mean that. So, uh, so I'm not I'm not down on education. When I say that the seminary is not going to make you a preacher, college is not going to make you a preacher, and I think that is a widely held misunderstanding. That if this if this young man has been to seminary then surely he is going to be a good preacher. Not necessarily. And, and I, I've, got a, I've got a seminary degree, so again, I'm, I'm just emphasizing, I'm not, I'm not down on going to seminary. Get as much education as you can. But just hear me saying to you that education is not going to make you a holy man of God. Education is not going to make you a holy woman of God. And... Jesus called these men who were fishermen, and they turned the world upside down. So, often it is people who have not had the opportunity for education who feel so intimidated and who feel like, wow, you know, I've never been to Bible school, I've never been to seminary, what can I say? You can say exactly what God wants you to say, and He'll use it just the way He wants to use it. And, and it's amazing how God powerfully uses fishermen who have never been to any kind of formal education, but who are willing to follow Jesus when he says, follow me. Now he called them to be fishers of men. And that is, that is just an opportunity. That's, that's like an illustration being thrown into your lap. So there are, there are ways that you can spiritualize this text that I think maybe you're going overboard. So, like some people would say, the, the ships in this story represent the churches. The net represents the gospel call. The fish represent sinners. The shore represents eternity. And all that, I think, maybe, maybe. But... The fact that he says you're going to be fishers of men and he doesn't just say I'm going to turn you into evangelists means that there is something. There's some correlation between fishing for fish and fishing for men. Some things that surely just lie on the surface of that illustration. So for one thing, if you're going to catch fish, you've got to go where the fish are. That's pretty obvious. You've got to go where the fish are. And then if you're going to catch fish, you've got to be strategic. Don't just throw your net in any mud puddle that you come across. You, you know where there are fish. There are, I'm sure there are certain techniques to throwing a net, where, where to go and so on, that I don't know about, uh, just like they probably wouldn't know much about how to fish with a, a line with a lure on the other end. But uh, there's a parallel even with uh, fishing with a, with a hook and a, line, and a lure on the other end. You want to you want to throw something that's going to be that's going to be likely to catch the fish. Now that could easily be abused to say if you're going to catch lost sinners, then you've got to give lost sinners what they want. But the fact of the matter is, what caught, what catches the fish is the gospel. And so, if you want to catch fish, then you if you want to catch men, I meant to say. If you want to catch men for the kingdom of heaven's sake, then then the lure that you use is the proclamation of the gospel. It is in hearing and understanding the gospel that those men slash fish that we want to catch, that God has arranged for them to want to strike that lure, want them to come into that net. One other thing that I think just lies on the surface, if you've done much fishing at all, then you know if you catch fish, uh, you're going to get fishy smell on your hand. Uh, it's It can be dirty. Some people don't want to catch fish because they don't want to take the fish off the hook. When I was a youth pastor in Lexington years ago, there was a uh, a group of people who were active in uh, performing in uh, bars and clubs, musicians. They're very talented. And uh, I became friends with one of them and uh, was a guitarist in the group. And the guitarist asked me, will you come to our band practice on Saturday afternoons and lead us in a Bible study? So not only were there several members of the band, there were also you know, 10 or 15 groupies who would kind of hang around this bunch. And so there might be, uh, you know, 15 or 20 people at the Saturday afternoon rock and roll Bible study. And uh, so a number of them professed faith in Christ and were baptized into the membership of the church where I was the youth pastor. And then after several months, I found out that there was uh, some significant sexual immorality that was going on in, uh, in these, these young people who had joined the church. And so I was talking with the pastor of the church about it, and, uh, and when I told him about what was going on, he paused for a moment, and he said to me, you caught him, you clean them. <laughs> And that was dirty work. That was messy work. And uh, so, if we're just going to have a, a nice, little, clean social club of a church, we don't need to worry about catching fish. But if we're going to be Christ's church, then we need to be concerned about catching fish, even if it involves being involved in the messy lives of messy people. So, we've seen the, the various calls, the implication of the calls. We've seen the fact that he called fishermen and some easy parallels between fishing for men and fishing for fish that are there on the surface. Uh, uh, the illustrations are on the surface, not the fish. And, but... Uh, the third thing that I want you to see is I think that there are some pretty good examples of being successful in the art of man fishing that are that are laid down here. I see some, some, of, the, some of you girls laugh because you think that refers to you're getting a husband. Now, I'm not talking about you're getting a husband. That's not the kind of man fishing that I'm talking about. But it is true that if you want to catch fish, you need to go where the fish are. Uh, but... Uh, so I'm not, talk, I'm not talking about getting married. I'm talking about being involved in evangelism. And I think that there are some, uh, some examples that are laid down here. Let's just glance over what, what I read in, in Luke, chapter one, Luke chapter 5. So the first thing is, you need to make everything that you have available to God for His use. You need to make everything that you have available to God for His use. In this case, it was boats. We don't read that Jesus asked permission, Peter, can I get into your boat? It just looks like Jesus gets into one of the boats. And, uh, and then Jesus teaches from that boat. But you and I, you need to make your boats available to Jesus. You need to make your house available to Jesus. You need to make your car available to Jesus. You need to make your skills available. Your abilities available to Jesus. Everything that you have, you just need to say, Lord, it's yours. Now, there's a lot of freedom in that if it all belongs to God. You know, if your car gets wrecked, then you can say, Lord, somebody wrecked your car. <laughs> and if you want me to have a car, then you need to give me another one. But this this is your concern. Everything that I have is yours. You need to give your children to Jesus. You need to give your marriage to Jesus. And think strategically, how can I use these resources that the Lord has entrusted to my stewardship? How can I use them to be a fisher of men? Jesus takes over the boat, and then when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon Peter answered, I'm in verse 5 now. Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. Now, I wonder, was there a significant pause after that? Did uh, Peter say, Master, and this is a pretty special word that shows you've taken over. You're the captain of the ship now. Master, <clears throat> we, we've worked all night. We never caught anything. He looks at Jesus. And Jesus looks back at him. And he says, "But since you say so, we will let down the nets." Just imagine that there may have been a pause, and he's looking at Jesus, and Jesus is not altering. Since you say so, uh, I may be reading too much into it there, but uh, anyway, he he obeys. He does what Jesus tells him to do. It seemed counterintuitive to him, but but he did what what jesus told him to do and if we want to have success in uh, in man fishing then not only do we need to make all of our resources available to the lord for his use but we need to do it the way he says to do it don't think that we're going to improve on jesus methods and then there's something else that you see here they they caught the fish Now, on the level of a miracle, this is a miracle that I often think of when I'm sitting cold and shivering in a deer stand. I think, Lord, you have control over the fish of the sea, and you have control over all the big bucks that are in this region. And if it might please you and bring glory to you, could you please bring a big buck by here? But if that's not your will, then might you just bring a big, fat, juicy doe by here? But uh, you know, I know that I know that God is in control. On the surface, this is an amazing miracle. He, Jesus brings those fish there. How did he know there? Did, how did he know they were there? He knew they were there because he brought them there. He commanded, and the fish came. Now that's a pretty significant miracle. Uh, very impressive and when peter saw it he falls down and he says go away from me lord i'm a sinful man but since we're talking about man fishing here then i think the lesson is jesus is able to bring the fish in he is able to bring the the men fish in when it is his will and so there are several lessons that we can learn from the example that is here now i want to uh, i want to conclude with uh, making making a point from the word that appears in the Greek New Testament here in verse 10. It says, Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. Catching men. The ESV has a note there that the word men can refer to females as well as males, and that's fine. Uh, But that word catching, as I said, it only appears twice in the Bible. Here, And in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 26. Why don't you turn there? I think you'll find this very fascinating. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 26. So the Lord, literally the Greek word would say, you will be catching men alive. The word is catching alive. And in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 26, we have the only other instance of this word being used in the Greek Testament. Let me start with verse 24. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil. There's that word. It's the snare. No, I'm sorry. It's in the next phrase. Escape from the snare of the devil after being captured. There's the word. Captured alive. After being captured by him to do his will. So all of this sermon, we have been considering The whole illustration of fishers of men, from the perspective of the fishermen. But now, for this this final point, I want you to consider from the perspective of the fish, and answer the question: Who has caught you? Because you're caught by somebody. The idea that you're just this this free agent running around—you're in somebody's aquarium. Have you been caught by Jesus? Have you been live caught by Jesus? Or have you been live caught by the devil? There was a song that was popular in the late 70s. You're going to have to serve somebody. It might be the devil or it might be the Lord. But you're going to have to serve somebody. Somebody. And that's that's the point of this final point. You are caught by someone. If you have been caught by the devil, then you need to escape from the snare of the devil after being live caught by him to do his will. And the only way to be delivered out of that is to be live caught By the Lord Jesus Christ. To willingly say. I I no longer want to be living in the devil's aquarium. Lord I want you to catch me. And I'm willing to be caught by you. God has made a covenant. With the Lord Jesus Christ. Everyone who receives you. My son. Everyone who receives you will be credited with a righteousness that will be as good as if he had never sinned one time in his life. If you long for that kind of righteousness, then submit to the terms of the covenant. And the terms of the covenant are, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Jim Bob, come and lead us in a concluding hymn.